we are continuing our series in the festivals. Uh, today, the festivals of trumpets, little known. Nobody gives a lot of uh, playtime to trumpets. And then the one festival that I think a lot of play gets done to is the Festival of Atonement. Uh, but first, uh, several years ago, uh, many years ago, I got to meet one of the most famous people in the world. Uh, really, even in like the history of the world. And it took a lot of planning. Uh, me and a friend decided we were going to do this. Uh, we had to fly somewhere. We had to book hotels. Uh, we had to walk through all of this traffic to get to the venue where we were going to meet this person. Purchased a ticket, walked through the venue, had to wait in another line. You know, the lines where you meet VIP people. Have you all ever done that? It's really cool. Anyway, you stand in this line. Uh, the line sleep slowly gets uh, dwindled down. You get closer and closer. Eventually, we got to stand inside. It was air conditioned. It was awesome, especially because it was hot. So then I sweat. So it was like, great. Now I'm not going to be sweaty when I meet this very famous person. Uh, the closer we got uh, to the front of the line, you, we were eventually in this room that's next to the room where you can feel the excitement next door of all of these people meeting this person. Uh, and that's when I began to think, oh my gosh, do I belong here? Like, am I properly dressed? Am I properly positioned to go into this room? And just when I was about to be like, we should bail and we should leave, they come up like, okay, you're next. How many are in your party? And we tell them. And then, then they open the door and we go in. And that is the moment where I got to meet Mickey Mouse for the very first time with my daughter Nora when she was four years old. And uh, it, was, it was pretty awe-inspiring, this uh, furry, furry man, uh, this rodent. And I bring that story up only because I failed to find something else that better describes holiness and shame, uh, and which is really at the heart of what today's festivals are really about. Holiness is this reality of this kind of concept that there's this access that we have uh, with God where we get to walk into the holiest of places and you sit there and you stand there and you're like, oh, I kind of belong here. Something was purchased, the work was done, and now I'm here before God and I get to meet and have this encounter with the other. Like that's a huge concept with holiness. The other one is the shame thing around, oh, like, do I deserve? Should I be here? Have I done the right stuff to get into this room? Like, is that what I should, should be? I don't know if you've ever been in those kind of important rooms where, like, I definitely don't belong here. We've developed a whole thing like the imposter syndrome, which is like Stockholm syndrome, but reverse, I guess. Like, I shouldn't be here, but then Stockholm syndrome, you think I should be kidnapped, right? Anyway, we've developed a whole thing around it. And that's really at the heart of shame, and it's really the heart even of the entire book of Leviticus, where uh, it's all kind of hinging on this concept of holiness, of, of being with the holy God and our distance from that holy God. Uh, we were made for that type of otherness and holiness. You were actually created to be holy. Uh, to have access to God. When we looked through the creation narrative way earlier this year, we saw that the first humans were made to know God and to be known by God. 
There was no like wondering about, will God be here today? They were created even with this constant expectation, hope of the certainty that this day, as the sun rises, I will be with the creator that made me and breathed into me. That kind of access to God, meaning holiness with like the ears for God. Like I can hear the voice of God clearly and constantly. Uh, having the eyes for God. Everywhere those first people were looked and even you were created to be able to see the handiwork of God in every aspect of the world. Like you, that is holiness. Or to have a heart for God. Like a longing, an understanding of I was made for him and I, I like reach out for him. And that holiness is to be able to have that without any hindrance. Without any matter of like, obstacles in your way, a completely other type of relationship. In the book of Leviticus, but also in Deuteronomy and Numbers, holiness also gets described as wholeness directionally like with others. That it's not just, oh, we're clean and we're holy before God, but we also have some sort of relationship with each other that is not hindered by distance. And what the Bible describes is that, that kind of holy life, a life lived close to God under his care, knowing him, and then being able to know other people. That kind of holy life without any distance or destruction between each other and between God. A life lived pure, satisfied, joyful. Sounds great. But then sin puts you on the other side of that. Like that's what Leviticus is also about, that kind of, that sense of shame of there's been things that have been done to me, there's things that I've done to other people, there's rebellion that I've had with God and with humanity and with this earth, and therefore there's this huge gap. That there, have you ever been in that kind of relationship where there's walls between you and another person because there's just so much stuff that's happened between you? whether it's a relative or a long friend or you know, a friend from college, that all of a sudden there's just this huge distance. And maybe you get together and you get drinks and you kind of chat about the good old days, but the, the authenticity and the openness and the knowing of one another is long gone because of these things that have happened, right? Uh, maybe there's relationships where you've screamed and yelled and you walked out the door and then you're like, ah, how's that gonna get repaired again? Uh, how do we go back to before the yelling and the screaming? That's the sense of shame. Of, of there's this reality of there's residue and there's blockage between you and knowing other people and being known by other people. And that is towards God and towards other people. Really, it's sin that we've been perverted, we've been twisted, we've been marred, and we no longer have that kind of access and those ears and those eyes for God and the holiness of God. Uh, shame keeps us, prevents us from seeing, from walking, from knowing. Uh, guilt actually prevents us from even knowing and receiving the love of others because you're like, oh, I'm so, I've, I'm so bad. I've done so many bad things. They've done so many bad things to me. And it just kind of fills an entire society. And nobody is like, yes, let's know one another. Instead, it's let's have walls for one another. Uh, even Nora has really picked up on this quite a lot. I think she gave advice to even an adult in this church at one point. It's like, you really got to protect yourself a little bit from those other people. And it's like, okay. <laughs> so she's learned. Let's protect ourselves from other people. And I, I don't know how, what can be done, right? That's the question. What can be done? How can we bridge that gap? 
How can we go back to that beautiful knowing of God and that permeates into our relationships with others? How can we get that access to that holiness once again to be with God? How do we bridge the gap? And I think maybe these festivals uh, will give us some clues. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, This is from Leviticus chapter 23, as we've been going through these last several weeks. I'm also going to read part of Leviticus 16, uh, which is about the Day of Atonement. Uh, That whole chapter is detailing what has to be done on the Day of Atonement, Uh, but I'm just going to read a section of it for us. So first 23 and then 16. Uh, Chapter 23, verse 23 says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorating with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day, because it is the day of atonement, when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. And then chapter 16, verse 29, says this, uh, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native born or foreign residing among you, because on this day of atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is also a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He's to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement in the holy place, the most holy place for the tent of meeting and the altar for the priest and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. This is God's word. First, the trumpets. The time of trumpets. As I said, not super pop. People aren't like, yeah, let's let's talk about the trumpets. Uh, But what happens in this is the, the people gathered together on a day that wasn't a Sabbath day. It wasn't the regular seventh day cadence. They would gather together. They would rest. They would have a solemn or kind of a, a serious meeting and time together, and the horns would blow uh, so that people would be reminded, oh, the time to deal with sin and to deal with the gap of shame and guilt, that time is almost upon us. It was like this kind of calling to self-reflection of, oh, right, we're about to do this thing where we slaughter bulls and goats. I guess we better be prepared and thinking about what that's all for. And God calls them to spend a whole day of fasting and resting uh, so that they could grow in this depth of awareness of like, what is actually happening here? So that they could understand what is the gap. It was a time to evaluate their own souls. And to think back over the whole year, right, the trumpets have called. Where was I the last time these trumpets were called? What was I doing in my life? What kind of things have I done over the last year? What things have been done to me? What, and then they would even evaluate and think about their community, their culture, their whole city. What are the sins that have just been building up for the last year? I think it's really important. You know, most of the time uh, we 
dodge, you know, like confession and acknowledgement of our own sin quite a bit, we don't say, I'm going to spend a day, I'm going to go into my house, I'm going to unplug, and I'm going to reflect on the sins of my life for the last 12 months. I'm going to sit there, and I'm not going to eat anything. I'm just going to ask God, reveal to me my heart and all of the things that have been done to me, all the sin that I carry, all the sin that I have guilt over. We don't like, we're just like, brush, brush forward, like, keep moving on, keep moving on. But this is a day of rest and reflecting to come away and say, oh, I guess I'm the problem. I guess I am like part of what's happening here. Oh, my whole city, my whole country, my whole place is broken too. We are in deep need. That's what the festival of these trumpets is all about, which I think uh, kind of makes sense. It's even something that we might long for in our cultural society. Like, wouldn't it be great if we had people and leaders who, instead of getting kind of caught and then having to send some sort of message out saying, I'm sorry about that social media post when I said all of those people should be hated, what if they actually, like, what if we all spent this time reflecting on, oh, what have I done in my life, and then kind of went forward and owned it, right? That kind of makes sense, like, bring it out to the open, have this vulnerability, like, I've messed up, I'm messed up, we're all messed up. That sounds lovely, right? Does it deal with that gap of sin and shame? Does this, this, this trumpet moment, to name it, this is who I am. I'm a mess. But have you ever noticed that if someone stops there, it doesn't really, like, work? Uh, with, when someone, there's only so many times somebody can tell you, hey, I really messed up. Uh, I'm really sorry without anything else happening, right? Like there's only so much patience you can have relationally with someone. It's like, oh yeah, you're still doing that thing over and over again. I love it that you're being honest and saying, I'm really messed up. I'm just really unorganized. I really disregarded you. I'm really, there's only so many times you can do that cycle without something actually changing. Uh, saying it out loud is wonderful, but does it really close the gap. In the same way that if a person is shackled in chains and put inside of a dungeon, and they're in there and they scream out, I'm in the dungeon, I'm trapped, I'm in captivity. The shouting of that does not yield to them freedom. Nobody in the history of humanity and people in dungeons, whether fairy tales or otherwise, have been liberated simply by declaring, I'm in the prison. That's never happened before. It might signal to some sort of rescuer to come, but until that rescuer comes and undoes the shackles, you're still in bondage whether you say so or not. The same is true if, if you like, you know, text all of your friends. You say, I have COVID plus a picture of the test. That doesn't bring healing to say, I have COVID. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? If all we had to do was acknowledge, I tested positive for COVID, it might signal to a doctor or signal to friends on how to care for you, but it, it's declaring it doesn't make you healed. Uh, just like a society, as important as it is to have marches and have conversations where you say, man, America's really messed up, doesn't make the country unmessed up. 
In the same way as well, a family that says, we're just really broken, we're chaotic, we have a big history, doesn't heal or make a family whole. It's great. It might put you on the path, acknowledging it. It's important. You know, AA has taught us that. You have to say, oh yeah, I am I'm part of the problem, but it doesn't deliver. Knowing you have sin, owning it so good, but confession does not make you holy. It doesn't restore relationships. A few days later, there's the Festival of Atonement, which is really about two goats, and you can read about it in the whole chapter of Leviticus 16. Uh, highly recommend. Uh, it's, it's a little bloody, but I highly recommend. There's two goats on the Day of Atonement. The first goat is all about cleansing. It's about sacrifice. It's really about blood. And what happens is, is that the, the priest, the high priest, who's of the line of Aaron, uh, will uh, first take a bull, sacrifice this bull, and it will be bloody and gruesome and it's awful, and they take the blood of that bull and it makes the priest clean. The whole bull is just for the priest and for the temple ordinance. Like, they go around and they sprinkle this blood on things, and then that somehow is cleansing them because there was this huge price paid, massive price, just for the priest because the priest himself is unwell, is also a mess. He also declared on the day of the trumpets, I'm a mess. The temple itself, almost like the black dust in L.A., you know, that fills all things and touches all things, that's the concept of sin in the Old Testament. It just covers all things. And so they purify the temple first. They purify the priest first. And then they go and they get this, this goat. And they put uh, that goat is the, the price for all of the sins of all of the people and towards God, towards one another for the entire year. And they slaughter the goat. Then they take that goat's blood and that is a cleansing for all of the people. And you might be thinking, wow, that's brutal. That's gross. That's awful. There's this innocent little one-year-old goat out there getting slaughtered. You might think that is like a little awful, right? Maybe some of you are like, slaughter the goats. But it's like, that's what, they, they burn, the, they like, there's nothing, it's no, no feast like Passover. It's just blood and guts. And you might be like, yes, that's awful, and that's the point. Sin is brutal. Sin is awful, sin is gross, sin is costly. The, the relational gap that exists, the access towards the holy of gods because of the reality of sin requires something. It's so gross, so awful. There has to be a payment. And so that's what the first goat is for. It's this payment, the sacrifice of, man, we've done all of this stuff. It's like when you crash into somebody else's car and you're like, I guess I have to pay for that because I, I ruined that. Uh, a payment has to be made. Uh, a cleansing has to be done to get out from underneath the weight of sin. It's like when you have a fight with your roommate and then you come back and you give them flowers and you're like, payment for that fight. Or when you yell at your kids or you ignore them and you're, and you're like, ah, oh, I've been a really bad dad. You buy them an ice cream cone and you hand it to them. It's like, this is payment for that, all that stuff. Uh, you might even clean up your life. You resolve never to do whatever that is again. You throw away all the bad things that make you do bad things. 
You punish yourself, you beat yourself up. That's the sacrifice, that's the cleansing. The price is paid. Cleansing is happening, right? Does that actually work as well? Does that deal with sin and and the gap? And it might for a while, you know, like clean up your act, uh, give people gifts, make amends, right? But you still kind of like remember what happened. And so do they. Everybody remembers what happened. Forever, for all eternity, you will always be a person that walks into that space and is like, yeah, I did that thing. I remember, I have the mental picture, so do you. I remember when we were uh, fighting. I remember when I sinned against you and against God, and it's still there. And so confession is great, cleansing is great, sacrifice is great, but there's still not a removal because sin is still present. It's in the air. But there's one more goat, second goat. It's a two-goat thing. And while there's a lot about the bloody first goat, the second goat is actually the high point. After all the cleansing and all the sacrifice, they bring the second goat forward. Uh, It's literally the scapegoat. That's where we get that term. When we talk about scapegoats, it's the second goat from Leviticus chapter 16. And they take that goat, and what the priest does, who's now been cleansed, and all the people have been cleansed, and the price has been paid, the priest puts his hand on the second goat, the head of the second goat, and he will confess, and he will put all of the sins of all of the people onto the second goat, who's just sitting there, alive, well, kind. You know, I have a big, fluffy, sheep-looking dog, and he will, if you put your hand on it, he'll just sit there, and sometimes I'm like, all of my sins are on this dog, right? (laughs) Sometimes all of his sin needs to be dealt with. He, he ate my really good barbecue gloves where you can put your hand in the fire. Anyway, scapegoat. It's the dog. But the priest will put his hand on the goat. He'll pray all of the sins of all of the people for the entire year onto this goat. And then somebody else takes that goat and leads it out deep into the wilderness and abandons it out there and then comes back. And the idea is like, oh, all of the sins were put onto that goat, and now it's way out there in the wilderness. It's never returning. It's out there where nothing lives, where no one returns. It's gone forever. And that's when the celebration would happen, and the people would come back. It's like, okay, we confessed our sins. We paid price for our sins. And then the sins were taken away by that scapegoat, and it's gone forever now we can relate again. Now we can worship God purely again. It's pretty exciting stuff. The sin is gone. The sin is over. It's been removed. Nothing will ever be seen again. And that is like the idea and the concept and the truth of restoration, where we actually now relate to one another of, it's just me and you again, nothing hindering us, nothing between us, because it's all been dealt with. We're starting fresh. Restored to God, restored to each other. Sin is out of here. And that sounds great, yeah. And we try this too. We have scapegoats. I mean, it's a popular phrase. We blame our work environment. Put all of the, all of the things that we do, you know, the, the shouting, the yelling, the stealing, the jealousy, it's like, ah, oh, it's that work environment takes all of the sin. And so then you leave that work environment. Aha! It's like that goat that they sent into the wilderness. Except all that stuff that you were doing goes with you. 
You know, the sin keeps coming back. Or it's like you can blame your parents. You know, it's really them. They did it all to me. I, it's the way they were raised, the environment I was in, it was really awful. That everything that I do, you can trace it back to that one moment. You know, I, I actually fantasize about just like, I love like history and like, oh, if that one thing didn't happen, the rest of the world would be different. And I think about my own life too. And so what's bad about that though, is you can kind of zero in and say, it was this one thing that happened and I'm not obligated to any of the other things. That's where the blame goes to that one thing. You can blame your spouse, you can blame your kids, you can blame politicians, you can blame the media, you can blame technology, and you can say that's what's happening in our society. We can put all of our sin on those things, put all of the blame, send them away, you go away, something like that, and then you'll finally find peace. You know, a new job, a new place, a new house, removed from all those people, except when you shut the door at night you're still there, and all of your sin is still there. You haven't escaped. The scapegoat came back. It's kind of like uh, Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> every year, there's a new one, and they're awesome every time. So that's where the metaphor breaks down. This is a negative version, where it doesn't matter what you do, every year it keeps coming back. In the same way, uh, the trumpets and the festival of atonement happened every year. As we read in chapter 16, they're supposed to do these sacrifices every year. It's all, the whole festival was about making us right, giving us this ability to be with God, to restore what was broken in the garden, and yet year after year, the same stuff is required. Something else has to happen. Uh, as, as Hebrews 10 says, the author of it says, blood and bulls and goats can't take away sins. Year after year, they offer these sacrifices. The priests are doing their work. And yet, something else still must happen. In fact, I would love to look at Hebrews chapter 10 about what else might ought to happen. In Hebrews uh, chapter 10 uh, I'll, I'll start with verse 9. And, it's, and it's, the author is talking about what Jesus says. And he says, Then Jesus said, Here I am. I've come to do your will, God. And then Jesus sets aside the first to establish the second. He sets aside the goats and the trumpets to establish some new thing. And it's by that will or by that desire, we, us, We've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It goes on and it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time, that's Jesus, he's the, the good priest, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for all of his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
In all of that cosmic history and all of the sacrifices, there's Christ who says, I will come. That's what this passage is saying. Out of the desire and the longing of God's will, we'll enter into this world and make a sacrifice once and for all. And you all get brought into the holiness. You're being made perfect as you're being made holy by that sacrifice, by that great priest. You might go, oh, so we just changed the semantics. No longer a goat, just Jesus. Does that really work? Jesus is not a one-year-old goat. He is the pre-existing one. Uh, Jesus is not a, a goat that was fed some grain and some corn and stuff. Jesus is the one who by him all things are held together. He upholds the entire universe. Jesus is not a goat that just gets wandered into this place and gets slaughtered. Jesus is the one that says, no, by my will and my desire and my love and my longing for all of humanity, he says, I will enter in and be that sacrifice. That is completely different than a hapless goat that's taken into, gets slaughtered. He is God himself, eternal, immortal, invisible. That's a different sacrifice altogether. But then there's, there's, there's more. Uh, there's, always, uh, there's always more. In verse 17, he says this. Then he adds, Jesus adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And there, and where these have been forgiven, these sins, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. What, what they're referring to here, what the author is describing is that sin will also no longer be remembered. Uh, Jesus is a different scapegoat. Uh, he's like the once and for all ultimate scapegoat. Uh, what makes him different than goats that just get taken out into the woods and left there to die? Or what makes him different than your parents or your work or your school or your bosses or the environment or 9-11 or whatever it is that causes you to sin? The thing that makes Jesus different is he is actually blameless. The reason all those things carry weight is because it's true. Your parents, your place, your city, your work, they are part of your problem. There is like a big truth of like, they sinned against you. But this is a different scapegoat. He's perfect, he's blameless, he's pure, he's holy. He came into this world, he was on the cross. We weren't even offering, we weren't even like looking for him. Like, oh, I really want to put all my sins on the Son of God. No, he's like, I will invite, and he puts all the sins of all of the world on himself. Blameless, pure, holy, wonderful. Completely different scapegoat scenario for you. And then, continuing on, in verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since now we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, since all of that has happened, since he, he died for us, he rose for us, all of our sins are forgiven, we now, this is what it is, let us now draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled cleansed from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, 
Let us hold unswavering to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Then he says, let us consider then how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. In Christ, we have atonement for sin. A removal of the presence of sin. What can work? How? Oh, Jesus, the perfect, the holy, that one has brought you in, ushered you in, not into some temple or some tent in the Middle East, but now into the ever-present loving God with you always. If he's done all of that, then let's walk right in and live that holy life that we talked about in the beginning, where we have access to God, ears for God, eyes for God, a heart for God, where we could just know with tons of confidence, he is for me, he is with me, I've been made clean because of him. But why is he doing all of that stuff? That we might also be there prepared to praise him for an endless eternity. But even more beyond that, we get to live in this relationship with one another, knowing that sin has been dealt with. Why do people not get together? Why do people lose the habit of hanging out and being together? Some of it's miles sometimes. You know, people fly far away and we don't get to hang out. But often it's because we've like had some stuff. So we don't hang out as much. What we get to do instead, because Christ has died and purified us and them and taken all of the sins of all of the world, and even those between our friends have taken them away, we get to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And so I want to plead with you all that you cannot have joy and satisfaction, which is like what we're praying for to be and have this year. You cannot have joy and satisfaction without having some sort of restoration between you and God. Like it just doesn't exist. There's no way to have a lasting satisfaction uh, in the pits and the valleys and the good times and the bad and the elections that go your way, that don't go your, there's no way to have lasting satisfaction to deal with the turmoil inside of you unless you're restored to God. There's just no way to have that satisfaction. There's no way to have joy, uh, never-ending joy, an incomprehensible joy, unless you've been like restored to what you were made for. There's just no way. And owning it, doesn't matter how many times you own your mess, it will not be enough. You can own yourself to death, you know, like, ah, you can't pay for your way out of it. You can't pay your way into joy and satisfaction or a restored relationship with God. It doesn't matter how many times you sign up to serve on Sundays. It doesn't matter how much money you give away. It doesn't matter how many times you recycle. There's no payment or cleansing yourself away that will restore you to God. And you can't blame your, yourself out of it either. There's not a good enough scapegoat out there. The only way is through Jesus who can sprinkle you clean with his life, with his death, with his resurrection. It's only Jesus who can usher you in to the holiest of places and say, you deserve to be in here. You know, it's different than Mickey Mouse. You know, I, just to go back, Mickey Mouse, you have to buy a ticket and you meet some fake person, right? 
I hopefully didn't shatter anyone's dreams. Not real, figment of, you know, Disneyland's imagination. It's so different because what it is, is it's Jesus coming out into the world and finding you and bringing you in and saying, you deserve to be here. And you're looking around, you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't have the right clothes. I haven't done the right stuff. He's like, I did the right stuff. You, do, you belong here. And it's only Jesus who can walk you into the holiest of places. And so, my friends, call out to God in repentance. Jesus, save me. Make me clean. Accept the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood, his body. Rely on his forgiveness that it was buried in the grave. That Jesus didn't take it to the wilderness in the Middle East, but he took it to the pits of hell and it will never return. And then you get to walk in the presence of God restored. A full restoration. Eyes for God, ears for God, a heart for God, a labor for God with him and with one another is good. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you And thank you and thank you for your work in the cross. Uh, We're like a a world, like the writer of Psalm 40. We waited and we waited and we waited, and then we heard God. Jesus, thank you for entering into humanity. I pray for us to have eyes to see you, a restored relationship, eyes to see the world as you see it, a heart for the world as you have a heart for it. Send us out of this place confident and assured that we are with you and that you are with us because of your great work. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.